The Way Out Podcast, episode 253. So what's your name, man? Timothy Clancy. What was your substance of choice or the DOC? <laughs> it was the alcohol. Alcohol. What? What's your clean sober date? I just hit 10 years. It's uh, July 29th. Nice. Dude, mine's the 23rd. We're close. Oh, right on. Yeah, I just celebrated five years myself. Oh, right on. That's awesome. Congrats yeah, on that. 11. Congrats on that clean time, dude. That was just what? That was three days ago. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what is your primary recovery program or pathway? Uh, I was using Smart Recovery for a while, and I kind of learned what they had to tell me. But now I go off of more reading and other people's experience than I do off of a set program. Right on. Absolutely. You can dip into so many wells, right? And just learn. Exactly. I don't need to, you know, limit myself. Like, what does this program say? What does this program say? I can kind of discover what's working for me and build off of that. Absolutely. Uh, how do you serve your recovery community? Uh, when I was 20, so say about seven years ago, I quit my job in finance. I went back to school and I <clears throat> got a degree in psychology and I do free counseling. Um, awesome. I help people out that want help. Dude, that's amazing. A lot of people probably need that free, you know, can't afford. Well, that's the thing that I consider, right? So rehab is like $30,000 and then you got aftercare and everything like that. And it tends to be that the further down you are, the less money you have for that type of stuff. Right. So I try and be there. I tell clients, you know, if you want to pay me, you're more than welcome to, but please don't feel obligated at all. That's not why I do this. That's awesome, man. Thank you for your service. Um, so last last introduction question. It's it's a deep one. What does recovery mean to you? Having a better life. Um, people ask, you know, how many years do you have sober? I ask, what have you done in your sober time? Right. Um, so just improving myself and those around me. It's quality, but, you know, not quantity. 100%. You know, it's you can lock yourself in a closet and have somebody slip food to you and you won't be able to drink, right? Um, but you mm -hmm. didn't accomplish anything. You haven't done anything to make your life or other people's lives better. Welcome, Way Out faithful and first timers, to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out Podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out Podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and AllRecoveryRings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous 
online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this rendition of The Way Out, our steadfast recovery co-host Jason's got a magnificent interview with person in long-term recovery and author Timothy Clancy, who shares with us his road to sobriety. From rock bottom to 10 years of continuous sobriety and counting, Timothy's journey to and through recovery to this point has been difficult at times, yet exceedingly rewarding at the same time. As you'll come to learn, Timothy lives with epilepsy, which has meant he's spent time in a coma and undergone two brain surgeries. Without question, Timothy walks his talk, which in addition to writing his book, The Road to Sobriety, is personified by his decision to leave a lucrative job in the financial industry at Goldman Sachs to become an independent cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT counselor, helping people who struggle with self-destructive behavior, substance abuse, eating disorders, and more. Timothy talks about the sacrifices he has made in order to fulfill his purpose, helping others and giving back. For Timothy, true happiness could only be found by giving up financial success, thus creating his own version of personal success. No doubt about it. Timothy has a survivor's story and a servant's heart. So listen up. Timothy, man, thanks so much for being on the show with us. And I can't wait to hear your story. Uh, it's always a blessing when, you know, somebody's out there listening and they and they will email us and they want to share their story because we need to, we need more voices, right? <laughs> Thank you very much for having. I think that's, a, you know, a lot of people that are, you know, call it successful or whatnot are ashamed of their recovery. And I think that's really sad. True. I think uh, more people hear how other people have recovered and go about their life, the better. Amen. Yeah, I, I got I to gotta say, I know what you mean. And maybe it's like got to do with their job or something, but some mm-hmm. people are really like sketchy about even sharing that they're in recovery and you know, all they don't want anybody to know because they think it's going to like negatively affect them in some way. You know? I think, you know what? Everywhere I go, 
there's somebody that has either experienced it or is proud of it. I was out to dinner two nights ago and somebody said, you know, are you guys out for something special? And I was out with my parents and they said, oh, it's his 10 year sobriety. And she's like, oh my God, my husband just got to a year. I'd love to take down your number and, you know, you guys be able to talk it to everybody around you has pretty much dealt with it. Uh, it's a point of pride. Um, not something to be ashamed in at all. Right. I feel the same way. I've in my experience since I started this journey, anytime I share about it, um, it's always a, a response of like love and, and yeah. understanding, right? Like I've, you know, and sometimes some people will like start to cry because it like give, it makes them think about somebody they love, right. Or whatever. Right. And then they'll start opening up about it to you and and it'd be all over emotional and like they wish that their family member or loved one could do it too. And, and I'm always there to saying, you know, they can do, there's always hope. Cause trust me, if you knew me, then you would not think that I would be clean now. You know, yeah. when I um, meet up with old friends or, you know, when they find out I'm sober, they're just floored. <laughs> you know, they're, we didn't think anybody could come back from that deep. Right. And, no, it's just, it's hard work, but, and it's, that's why it should be taken as pride. It's hard work. Absolutely. And speaking of how deep, because we, we got to learn your story. We got to hear about how <laughs> deep it went, but uh, to start off, I'd love to hear about uh, where you grew up, what it was like growing up. I grew up in Southern California in Irvine. Where's your pretty much the perfect place. There's no crime. Everybody's married with children. Um, everybody succeeds. Hmm. But at the same time, I grew up with a learning disability, which uh, my parents chose not to tell me about. So I never knew that I was slower. And because I grew up in that perfect environment, uh, I was pushed beyond my limits which after working with a psychiatrist and whatnot turned out to be a major driver of my addiction. Um, you know, being told you can get all A's where you should be getting all A's and getting in trouble for not getting them, but you're physically incapable of getting them. Wow. So just like unrealistic expectations on you from an early age, basically from, you know, the time I was in grade school, wow. you know, my brothers and sisters went to law school. They're all making a ton of money. Um, you know, why don't you measure up to your brothers and sisters? And, you know, the kind of guilt there that you're supposed to be doing better. And if your brothers and sisters can do it, obviously you can too. And mm. um, carrying that around ended up uh, not working out so well for me and not working out so well for the people that put it on me. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> well, it's like they put it on you, but it sounds like they were ignoring the elephant in the room, like that you had yep. learning disability and it, you know, it's just tougher for you. Yeah. Instead, instead of like pointing it out, uh, addressing it, getting you the support you need, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, I genuinely think they thought they were doing what was best for me. Uh, so I don't blame them in any way, shape or form. Um, That's good. You know, how 
and blaming that, you know, I'm 10 years sober. I wouldn't trade my life for anything in the world. So if somebody's like, oh, how do you feel about that? I just say it got me where I am today. So I wouldn't change a thing. That's the attitude, man. You can't carry around resentments, dude. It's like poison. <laughs> right? So, no, it, it is. Yes, it is. And every single thing uh, played its role in, in uh, teaching us the lessons we needed to learn and giving us the life experience to get us to where we are today. So it's it's not for nothing, you know? Yeah, no, I'd be a different person. And, you know, who knows? You know, people like to take it in isolation and like, oh, I would have gotten better grades. Life would have been easier. Yeah, but you don't know what would have come from that. Right. You know, it's everything we do affects us. Maybe life would have been easier and you would have been cocky, gotten in a fight and died. I don't, it's just, you can't, oh, I wish this one thing changed. Right. No. Yeah, that's so true. So growing up like that, you just, well, how did, how did that go? Like, how did you get through school? uh with the struggling and and feeling like you're letting people down all the time um you know what do you mean by get through i graduated um but it was heavy on me i ended up going to college um i ended up graduating from college after i had to take a break during due to suicides or suicide attempts um right but again, you know, I'm told that a big part of the driver there is just the emotional weight put on you of you're supposed to be able to succeed, um, not being able to, you know, do normal people things because you're locked in your room 12 hours a day trying to succeed. Right. Well, and it, like to me, but obviously I have an outsider's perspective. It sounds like you were succeeding. It's just you weren't doing it to the caliber that would please others or, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, dude, I didn't graduate from high school. You know, I didn't graduate from college. I I got my GED and I went to college much later in life for for a short time. Marriage fell apart. Then I didn't, you know, then I had to quit because I didn't want to mess up my GPA. I never went back because I haven't been able to pay my student loans. Um, You know, it's like. So like for me hearing about yours, it's like, man, that's awesome. You know, you graduated, you did college, but yeah, unfortunately it just sounds like it was really a, like a source of like a depression. And that's an important thing is, you know, setting your own goals. Um, you know, your loved one or something can tell you, you know, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. If you know you can't, you know, ultimately you have to live up to your own goals, not other people's. Yeah. That's a hard lesson learned, you know. (laughs) It is. It took me a lot. You know, I even in early sobriety, I've been told my whole life, you can't, you know, be happy without a wife and kids and a nine to five job and whatnot. And I'm kind of the opposite of that. You know, I don't plan on ever getting married. I definitely, you know, I got a vasectomy. I definitely won't have children. Um, But that's part of discovering what can make you happy, right? You got to live by what you decide makes you happy rather than what everybody around you tells you. Yeah. And I suppose for you, especially coming from that place where, 
you were getting pressured um, and, and told that what you were doing wasn't good enough and, and always feeling like it was all about probably growing up, like what other people thought you're trying to get the validation. And, and, you know, when you learned that, I bet that was so damn freeing, such a huge weight lifted off of your shoulders to know that it ain't about them. It's about you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it's some people don't understand that, which can be sad. And you have to be careful of your friend because even they, you know, you tell somebody you're happy without a wife and child and not working a nine to five, we're all told you need that. So right. people, some people definitely think I'm not being genuine. They're, you know, I don't have that issue with clients or anything, but people have a hard time wrapping their head around even what makes you happy in pursuing it. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It's like not everybody's the same. Not everybody's yeah. ideals are the same. And it, why can't you just accept somebody for who they are? You know, why do yeah. they have to like fit some mold that you think a person should fit? You know, right. Yeah. What's important is if they're not hurting others and they're accomplishing their goals, that's what's important. As long as, you know, your goals aren't hurting somebody or doing negative things to other people's lives then as far as I'm concerned, you're on the right track. For sure, man. Just, that's crazy to me. I don't get people sometimes. It's just like, what the hell? <laughs> live True live. story. Right. So like what, uh, when did you find King Alcohol in your life? <laughs> King Alcohol when I was about 14. Um, that's not when I started drinking heavily, but um that didn't come around until like, I'd say till my sisters went into college. I have a very close family, or we used to be very close. It's a big family? Um, yes, I have three sisters and a brother, and all five of us are born within five years. So we're all very in contact with each other, if you will. You know, I was in high school and I was partying with my sisters in college. Yeah. We were, you know an advantage to being the same age, but then you got that disadvantage too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got a brother. He's eight years younger than me. And we did a lot of uh, crazy stuff together back in the day, yep. <laughs> you know, but now yep. we're both in recovery together. So it's pretty sweet. Yeah, that's, that is. Yeah. It's amazing. Actually, <laughs> you know, it, it sucks that we have to go through recovery, but we can come out better than we ever would have been right yeah well i, I wouldn't be I, the person i am today you know i'd be working a nine to five i you know i'd be locked up in an office instead of out helping people right yeah i know like it, recovery going through recovery did suck the first like umpteen times i tried it but when, <laughs> when it when it was you know, the time that stuck, I think there was just something else going on. It was, it was like exciting and it was, it was like yeah. new and I was like hungry. I was, I just wanted more. Like I was like a sponge and I couldn't get enough of like the stories and, and meeting new people, strong people and the advice. And, and like, I started getting, you know, after you get over that hump where you're like scared to try the things that people suggest. And now you're yeah. starting to realize that when you do try the things people suggest that it benefits you, then you start yeah. noticing that like those, 
moments of fear are an opportunity for growth and you kind of like are excited to try the thing that you never thought you would do or you yeah. know you maybe thought sounded really retarded to do but now you're like <laughs> all right i'm gonna do it anyway and then yeah i don't know i thought i just thought it was so awesome when i was able to i guess really let go and relinquish control and just be willing to like accept help and and follow some advice you know i'm 100 on your team you know um our best advice to ourselves got us where we were um, <laughs> yeah. so we up. should definitely be open to other people's advice especially those that you know quote unquote have what we want right absolutely man so yeah you started drinking when you were 14 partying with your sisters what got me into it heavily was like i said my sisters were in college it was local it was close to me and trying to be good sisters you know they'd invite me so that i could hang out with all the sorority girls and everything like that but it turned out that i can drink fast like really 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 fast and i have a liver that processes twice fast as a normal person's oh wow so I kind of became like a shell um, and alcohol became a good thing for me. Um, you know, I'd get wasted. I'd drink fraternity guys under the table and everybody, you know, giving you the high fives. So alcohol became a good thing for me. It became, you know, a source of pride, if you will. It started to become part of my identity. You know, this is the kid that can drink fast or drink so much or something like that. So, you know, Drinking that much is never good for your body, but it was good for my self-esteem and whatnot. Yeah. Oh, and then yeah. eventually, <laughs> you know, eventually drinking at parties turned into drinking all by myself, <laughs> which turned into depression. Um, not a good thing to do, drinking by yourself. Not a good thing at all. No. What is it? What is that? Somebody told me, I've heard it before, is like, Addiction wants to do two things. It wants to get you alone and it wants to kill you. That's it. Actually, I like that. I'm going to start using that. That's... You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> that is very, very, very true. It is, man. It, it, I think it's like a really common. People say it started as a, like a social thing and then yeah. it turned into the opposite. It was like, yeah. you know, I this is mine. Yep. <laughs> no, gonna... you know, at, you know, before going <laughs> into bars, I'm very cheap. Um, money's never been a big thing for, I'm from a wealthy family. So I've kind of seen that's not where you get happiness. So I've always been very cheap. And before going into bars, I'd just pound alcohol. Nobody was allowed to touch my alcohol. Hands off. It's mine. You can't get it. Yep, a little pregame action. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. But when pregame is half a bottle of vodka, right? <laughs> Dude. Yeah, I couldn't drink like that. I'd be like totally shitty. <laughs> oh, I, like I said, you know, it's funny that it ended up being that I have a liver that medically processes stuff twice as fast as other people's. Because of epilepsy, I've had brain surgery, I've had liver damage, I've, you know, everything in me has been tested up and down. So, wow, uh, funny stuff like that comes out, right? 
Now, do you think that a lot of your health issues were a direct result of your drinking? I do. Um, nobody has ever blamed it on that. I've never had a doctor, you know, tell me your drinking is making this worse or anything like that. I had doctors give me advice, but they never said, you know, Timothy, if you stop drinking, and I think it would have helped if they were harsh on me, but you know, Timothy, if you don't stop drinking, your epilepsy is going to get worse and worse and worse. I never had that, you know, hmm. but I believe it was a large cause. You know, if you've got stuff wrong with your brain, pumping poison into it's not going to help. Right. No, it's yeah. not. <laughs> and fun enough, epilepsy meds are, uh, processed in the liver so i don't see it as smart you know trashing your liver and dumping stuff in there when it's trying to make you better right like the liver's already got its work cut out for it right <laughs> making it work <laughs> like triple time exactly um, that's nuts man so when when uh when did your drinking really get out of control college um yeah, and college is when it got out of control. When I went to college and I had my own dorm room, because it started out with, you know, Timothy's dorm room is the party room. Hey, go to his room. Look how much this guy can drink. You know, let's all blah, blah, blah. And slowly as I couldn't keep up in college because of my learning disabilities, it turned from parties to let's not go to class and let's just get wasted in our dorm room. And then let's stop inviting people around because they keep on telling me it's strange to be drinking on a Thursday when I want to be drinking on a Thursday before class mm. and slowly spiraled out of control. Um, you know, I've had times where I've picked myself up and down. I, you know, I'm, I got expelled from college, but then I ended up getting back in and finishing. So it's when I got out of control, but it wasn't the low of the low for me. Right. Mm, okay. So what was the low? What was the low of the low? Um, the low of the low was when I was in my apartment, my mom has always meant a lot to me. I still, I call her my best friend. Um, I started getting drunk on a Friday or I'm sorry, on a Wednesday night. And the next thing I knew, I woke up with my mom on top, you know, looking down on me. I was in my bathtub with my wrist slit, bleeding all over the place. And my mom looked at me and said, Timmy, what can I do to make the pain go away? What can I do? And that was my low. That was, um, you're tearing your family apart. You need help. You know, there's tons of stuff along the way. I stopped talking to my dad. I've been arrested umpteen times. You know, I've gotten in fist fights with cops, you know, but that was the morning I woke up and said, it's sobriety time. Can't do this anymore. Oh yeah. You know, like I said, that's the tipping point. The, you add in everything else right before and you know it was it was time i i was suffering from major depression because of alcohol you can look at my wrist they're all slid up my legs you know right. it's horrible um 
But again, now I take it as a point of pride. That's how low I was able, I went and I was able to pick myself up. Right. Yeah, man. Well, I'm glad that you made it through that and you're still around to tell your story. (laughs) I'm glad I'm around. There was one point in life I wasn't glad I was around, but yeah, I'm very glad I'm around now. (laughs) Yeah, no, you never... You're never like immediately grateful. If anything, you're pissed off right. that it didn't work, right? You know, it's like when somebody well, gets that was one of my fears of getting sober is, you know, with a clean mind, how much more am I going to hate myself? Right. Well, it's like when somebody gets Narcan, they're not going to jump up and give you a hug and say thank you. You know, they're pissed <laughs> off because you they're pissed off because you blew their high. You know, right? And, right. You know, yeah. they they were drifting off into, yeah straight straight to death and they didn't even all they knew is they were like in oblivion they were in like ecstasy they were just out there and you just pulled for them back. me and for me personally and from what i've heard you know um alcohol cocaine whatever it be it's the symptom not the cause right well i always say same devils different levels man you know like we all have the similar pieces that you know, yeah. that's what makes it so we can connect, you know what I mean? So well, and it doesn't matter if you were hooked on the bottle or the needle or the pills or whatever, you know, um, cause it all leads to the same shit internally. Right. Yeah. And, it, and a lot of the same stuff externally too, you know, just yeah. issues all around and within just, ugh. so, I mean, did you want to tell us any more about, uh, that kind of part of your life, like there's thing, any uh, stuff that you went through that you want to share or, or do you want to like move on to after that suicide attempt? Um, when I was in college, um, I actually got expelled for trying to kill myself on campus. That's why they let me go. And that was the first time I went to rehab. But it was because I was forced to go. I never really considered myself in rehab. Right. I considered myself doing my penance so that my college would let me back in. Right. And, just like with a job, right? They have to yep. offer help. And if they offer help and you take it, then they can't take your job away. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Man, so what? So that, that was your first suicide attempt that when you got expelled? That I think it was. I think that was the first time I ever tried to kill myself. Is I was, you know, I'm lucky to be alive. I don't remember the exact things, uh, but you're supposed to be able to lose seven pints of blood. I lost nine. You know, I'm around for some reason. Is how I like to think of it. There's too many. You know, I've been in a coma. I've been declared dead. I've, you know lost more blood than I should be able to. I think uh, I'm here for a reason. If I don't do something good with it, I am doing a disservice. Right. It's responsibility and it's a purpose, right? And yep. Purpose can drive you. It can give you a vision of what you're, you know, that you have this gift that you can share uh, that that's like amazing. I know for me, it's been amazing to realize that all these things that once I, they were the things that made me want to kill myself, you know, and now yep. 
And now I view them as like gifts because I can see how they can impact others. I can see how they can uh, benefit people around me if I'm willing to share them. And to dude, before, if I would have tried to share any of that stuff, I'd lose it. You know, I'd break down, I'd be a puddle, you know? And now I can talk about anything and it's just like not a big deal um, because it just doesn't have power over me like it did before. Yep. Yeah. It's a trick. I think talking about it, it's a big part of it, right? I, um, nobody knew I was suicidal in my life. You know, I hid stuff. I, nobody knew I was depressed. Nobody knew how many times I tried to kill myself. You know, I always kept it where people couldn't see it. I tried, but now, like you said, you know, it's out in the open. Um, it helps people helps give them strength and it's a major source of strength for me absolutely yeah and it dies when it's exposed to the light you know yeah doesn't have power anymore (laughs) you know i like that's exactly how i like to look at it you know um i like to think it had power over me when i was hiding it and now has power to help me now that it's out yeah totally totally that's perfect um, so getting expelled and then, so you took the help, you got back into school and did you like do good for a period of time? Well, I wouldn't like to say that I take that, took the help. <laughs> right. <laughs> because but you I was, pretended to take the help. Yeah. You jumped through the hoops. Let's say that. <laughs> when I was in rehab, I thought everybody had a problem there, but me, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I it was very sad. I was condescending. I judged people i really didn't get anything out of it i was just there to do my penance so that i could get back into school um so that people would get off my back yeah and then move on with life i didn't even think i was going to stop drinking it was it's funny it puts you in this state of mind i didn't think i had a problem right. i'm drinking enough to get expelled i'm trying to kill myself but i don't have a problem you don't think that the suicidal ideation is a symptom of your alcoholism or that you're an alcoholic for that matter. Yeah. Like they're unrelated. <laughs> yeah, definitely. How could yeah. those possibly be connected? <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I think a lot that's the case for a lot of us. Like we, we find a solution in the, in the substance use, you know, like that's yeah. kind of like the solution to our problem, but we don't realize it's just exacerbating the problems because it, you might feel good when you're doing it, but then you feel worse when you're done. <laughs> you know, you no, right before I came on this podcast, I had a client call me and she was telling me how overwhelmed she was, how she can't get anything done and uh, that she needs to smoke because when she smokes, she gets clear and gets stuff done. Um, we took out a piece of paper and pen and we wrote down exactly what she had accomplished when she was using verse sober, you know, that delirium sometimes comes back, you know, Oh, I was able to accomplish stuff because you know, your mind can trick you. Oh yeah. So what, when you did the writing exercise, did she realize she really wasn't accomplishing shit? Uh, definitely. She definitely realized that, you know, maybe it helps you for a couple minutes. But the long, you know, it's going to kick you while you're down. It's going to eat you alive. 
it's not going to make some, you know, it might make something feel better for 10 minutes, but that's it. You know, from there on it's down. That's amazing. The narratives and the power they have, like the personal narratives that we tell ourselves, we convince ourselves. What is it? Another saying that I love, it's like, I made sense out of nonsense. Like I would convince myself of these things that were completely ridiculous. Right. It's, but that's my yeah, reality. It's uh, what is it? Uh, you can justify anything if you find a justification for it. And oh, yeah. so easy, you know, when you want to use, you will find a reason for it, which right. is why in recovery it's important to want to not use right find your motivation say i want to not use and focus on that instead of trying to find reasons to use right you know putting yourself in bad situations or abusive relationships just going to lead you to needing that support system which unfortunately we've learned is our drug of choice right yeah, definitely, man. So when you um when when you woke up in the hospital and your mom was there, or in your bathtub, sorry, yep. in your bathtub, yep. and your mom was there. Um, what was that like moving forward from that for you? You know, well, it was uh, funny because um, or funny, um, you know, I bandaged <laughs> up my wrists. I jumped in her car and she started driving me to her house and I told her, um, mom, I need a rehab. And she kind of looked at me. She said, what? I said, I'm ready. Things need to change. You know, I need something. And, uh, it turns out that waiting at her house was going to be an intervention. <laughs> um, oh, wow. uh, I told her, you know, looking back now, that would not have worked out well for those people. Right. It wouldn't have worked out well for me. I would have gotten defensive. I would have pointed out everybody else's flaws, telling them to stop judging me, everything like that. You know, some people interventions work very well for very well. Right. But that's a good example of somebody It would not, I would not be sober today had that intervention come and had I come to the conclusion on my own that right. I needed rehab. Well, to me, that sounds like some higher power shit right there. You know, like you were already there. You were like asking for it, having no idea that you were heading into an intervention as we speak, you know? Yep. Like that's literally being driven to my intervention. I bet that was such a huge relief for your mother to hear those words come out of your mouth in that car ride. She told me it's one of the most powerful moments of her life. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, they knew I needed help for years, but that point when they're at their final straw, Timothy needs help and Timothy needs to realize and Timothy needs to take action steps is when I said, Hey, I need to take action steps. So when you got there, even though you had already made that decision, that declaration that you needed help, did they still carry on with the the whole intervention process? Like, did you, did they get to like speak to speak to you about what they were feeling and experiencing as a result of your use or any of that stuff like they usually would do. My mother and father did 
but everybody else that was going to be involved in the intervention was asked to leave before I would arrive. Um, which I think was a good decision. Um, I didn't need to be guilted into it. I didn't need to go into rehab with everybody else's problems on my shoulders, feeling any more guilty than I already did. Mm. Um, again, I think it's part of why it works so well for me. I was able to go in and focus on myself rather than everything that I had done to everybody over the years. Absolutely. But I just, I was just curious cause I know that how those things work and it's like, it's pretty heavy, but I think that's a, what makes them work when they do work is they, oh, yeah. they bombard you with and make you really face the reality Oh, yeah. Like I said, I think interventions can be an invaluable tool. Yeah. And if you have people in your life that are willing to set it up for you, it's just as hard for them and props to them. Yeah. But at the same time, it's in, you know, like everything, it's on an individual basis, what's going to work for you and what isn't. For sure. I can tell you right now, dude, there's been many years of my life. If somebody even attempted it, um, it would have been. Would have been a lot of mud slinging for me, for sure. Like you said, you know, just, I would have, I would have thrown, I would have guilt tripped every one of them people somehow, some way. Yeah. And I would have diverted all responsibility from myself to them or someone else or something else or someplace else. Yeah. I would add a perfect excuse for everything. And it basically would have been like, this is me. And if you don't like it, fuck you. And I would have been out the door, you know? Oh, yeah. I would have curled up into myself, said, I'm perfect the way I am. This is how you guys all suck. Now leave me alone. Nobody gets to judge me. But in this instance, you were ready. They yep. knew you were ready. She gave them a heads up. They mm-hmm. changed their plan a little. Yep. And you went. Mm-hmm. And I was very lucky when I showed up my parents had actually talked to people and they had a small list of facilities that were recommended. And, um, I called a few rehab facilities, figured out which one sounded best to me. And next day I was off. Nice. So how long? Very did... and, I'm sorry. Oh, nothing. I was, I was going to say, how long did you, uh, do treatment for like, in I did. Intensive? funny uh you know we talk about blazing our own path um i did 30 days of inpatient and um when i was released normally they recommend 90 days of outpatient or sober living or whatever um they didn't recommend it for me because they thought i wasn't taken in the program because i was going to relapse right away okay um i was changing the program that so it would work best for me. Uh, and they thought it was just me fighting against them so I could have a reason not or to use again. They were literally so confident that I was going to drink again that they didn't even recommend aftercare for me. They just figured he'll be back. Yep. And that's what they told my parents. Um, Again, I was lucky enough for my parents to pay for my rehab. And so they were in contact with certain people. And they basically said, your son failed here and is going to fail. Um, 
but myself, I decided that I was going to do 90 days of outpatient and then sober living. Um, cause I decided it was the best. It was what was going to give me the best opportunity to succeed. Wow. So they didn't recommend it. You recommended it to yourself and you did yep. 90 days of outpatient after you did 30 days of inpatient. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. But it's also <laughs> weird that they, like, for whatever reason, they never got to that place in a conversation with you where they knew that you had this intention to keep working at it. They thought you weren't serious about it at all. That's a, that's a trip, dude. That's weird. You know, a silly example, but an example nonetheless is, you know, they have things in rehabs like equine therapy and sailing and stuff like that. And they were shooting equine therapy to me. And I said, I'm not going to do it. And they said, why? I said, well, I don't have a horse when I get home. Yeah. I really don't want to rely on this horse when I know I'm not going to have it at home. Mm. And again, you know, they took that as me fighting against the program versus tailoring the program to what I believed would work best for me. Like he's not surrendering. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? I'm a very stubborn person. And when you tell me I can't do something, that's when I'm going to do it. So again, you know, maybe the only reason I'm sober is because I had to fight those people is because I had to prove to them that I'm going to do this, even though you don't think I can and you don't think I will. I kind of dig it, dude. Like I love how different people's experiences can be. And I, I got to say, that's the first time I've ever heard that the place thought that you were so not into this, you know, or fighting against it, that they didn't think you would succeed. So they didn't say you should get further treatment because they thought it was a waste of a bed or whatever, a waste of a chair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you wanted more and you yep. did it just to prove to those fuckers <laughs> that yep. you could do it. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, I, uh, I showed up there for my first year of, uh, sobriety, you know, they have the annual, um, meetings. I showed up there and people almost died. <laughs> They're like, you're here for, to celebrate one year sober. I said, awesome. yes, I am. I don't know how many people believed it, but they almost died. They almost fell over. They were just like, oh my God, of all the people that we thought would come back here, not him. But dude, isn't that the case in, in general, dude, like across the board, I've met, I've met so many people on this journey. I've seen, I've been able to be blessed to be a part of, or have people be a part of my journey. And you know, it's all, it's like, seems like it's always the ones that you think are fucking no way going to get yeah. it, that get it. And then the people that you think have it, the people that you think are so on fire with this shit that they will never fall off are the ones that will go out and relapse. Some of them don't make it back. Some of them die, you know? It's, it just goes to show, you know, that we don't fucking know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I have no and control. And other people especially don't know. Right. No. That's nuts, dude. So you, you decided to do more on your own record. So what did that look like for you in that journey? I've got a funny story about that. So I was in uh, sober living and they didn't think I was going to succeed ever either. Um, they actually had a hearing to kick me out of one of the houses because they thought there was no way I would succeed. And, uh, I don't, did you watch Seinfeld growing up? 
Oh yeah. Um, there's a really funny episode where um, the guy eats poppy seeds and pees positive for opiates and gets fired from work or something, right? I thought that was always on television, just television. I was at a client meeting and I ordered a sandwich and it came out on poppy seed bread. And I hate poppy seed bread, but I was with a client, so I didn't want to send it back. Um, I, you know, just appearances and I ate my stupid poppy seed sandwich <laughs> and I just happened to get piss tested that day and it came back positive because of stupid poppy seeds. And, uh, they told me I had to leave, but before I left, they called my parents and told my parents that I had been doing opiates. And then my parents had went ahead and called all my friends and family and said, Timothy relapsed. Don't help him. He needs to find something else. Um, I was lucky enough at that, you know, I called 20 people. They all told me they knew I relapsed and they weren't going to help me. Um, last person on my list to call was my sister. Cause I didn't think there was any way in hell that she would help me out. Called her up, told her what happened. She said, Timmy, come live with me. It turns out it's because her husband is a commander in the military and in charge of P testing the cadets and recruits. And he knows that the first test sometimes can come back positive when it's actually negative and that certain things like poppy seeds yep. can trip the test. False positive, dude. Yep. And if they had sophisticated enough testing, they know that it's all about the levels, right? Like yeah. a lot of drug tests don't show levels, but yeah, it, it, you know, if you've got a poppy seed muffin or something, your levels are going to be really low, like below base, you know? And so they, that's an indicator that it's a false positive, but if they have, you know, the cheap, cheap cup tests, can't see that. You know what I mean? Well, in their defense, right? They already thought I was going to fail. Then when I fail, I say it's because of poppy seeds. <laughs> you know, I'm sure most people that relapse in uh, sober living try and come up with some creative uh, excuse. Right. Well, you know, I don't really fault them for it all that much. You know, they thought I was going to fail. I failed and he was just making stuff up. Right. And. I was, you know, lucky enough to have somebody in my life that actually knows that that stuff happens and took me in and kept on going to work and eventually got where I am today. So right on. So you you just stayed there. Were they giving you UAs while you lived there just to check on your status nope. and stuff? <clears throat> They just took um, you in and figured you were doing good and you were doing what you needed. Sister to do. took me in. She had two little again, you know, that's kind of why I thought she wouldn't take me in. She's got a husband in the military that's very strict. She had two little boys. Um, and she's told that I was relapsed. And she took me in anyways. Um, but I was there and I kept on working at my old job which my parents had called my old job and told them that they shouldn't take me back. But Damn. <laughs> my supervisor 
just asked me, he said, you know, Timothy, we gave you that time off. Do we need to worry about you? I said, no. And he said, okay, you know, um, I'm going to put my trust in you and let you go back to work. And I went back to work. Um, I, I used to work at a high paying job, but like I said, I used to work at Goldman Sachs as a financial analyst. And, um, I said, money hasn't been much to me. So as soon as I had enough saved up, I went, I bought a nice cheap little house and, um, now, you know, I do what I do. I do, I'm a counselor. I help other people, you know, there's so many opportunities where my journey could have gone wrong. Um, I feel it's kind of my obligation to help those that had it go wrong. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I, I think that it's, it's cool that, you know, cause you had issues where it was just like you were button heads, you know, everywhere you turned with people as you were trying to do what was best for you, but it didn't fit their mold. Um, yep. And, and really when you're trying to support people, especially addicts and stuff, it's like, it's so much more helpful if you just meet them where they're at, you know, go off of like what they say, what they feel is the best in the, for their life, what their needs are specifically at this time. And, you know, try to tailor make a action plan for the person on an individual basis, as opposed to try to fit them into a cookie cutter. Right. And, you know, at the same time, I don't really, I don't fault them. I can understand where they're coming from. You know, I was beating myself up for 15 years, making horrible decisions, making all kinds of excuses for all they know, it was just another one in the line of uh, another one of Tim's lies. And we don't have faith in him because of everything he has done. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't fault them. I think if I was them, I would have thought I relapsed too. <laughs> so, yeah, right. I mean, you so you're getting a phone call, right? Yeah. And, and why wouldn't they think it's like, even, even five years into this thing for me, you know, I know there's still some people out there that think that it's bullshit or, you know, yeah. and, and I don't blame them. You know, I, I always have to remind myself, you know, that nothing I do or say can change the way somebody views me. Um, the only thing that can do that, like, you know, is God can change somebody's heart or that's, that's what I look at, you know, my higher power. But it's like, to me, you know, time and consistency, you know, help, but they only go so far because some people are they're They were so done fed up that they ain't even willing to look, they ain't willing to watch. They ain't willing to see. Right. They don't care. You know, that's, mm-hmm. they have the image of you that they have. And that's just the way it is. And you have to be okay with that uh, regardless. Right. And everybody has it for a different reason. You know, um, I had to ditch most of my friends when I got sober um, some of them because they just, they wanted drinking Timothy, you know, at the first they tell you, I don't because you're making a mess of your life. But at the same time, they're uncomfortable having somebody sober around them. So sure. everybody has their image of you and they might tell you they want you to get better, but they might not want it actually. Yeah. 
They might want their using buddy back. Yeah. Or, or then, you know, if you're doing good, it might make them look at themselves. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And they I had a lot of experience either. with that one. Hmm. So you're doing uh, this counseling thing. Is there, uh, what, what do you call yourself? Like, what's your practice called or whatever? Well, my uh, official title is I'm a cognitive behavioral therapy counselor with a specialization in self-destructive behavior and a subspecialty in addiction medicine. Um, I just tell people I'm a drug and alcohol counselor, right. uh, but I... But you're your own boss. It's your own, it's your own business, right? Yep. I have yeah. no interest in working for somebody else. I have no interest in, you know, telling somebody that they're going to fail because they're not following everybody else in the group. Right. Um, and rehab, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's become a money-making industry, a cookie cutter industry where they just pump you in and out. And I don't need somebody telling me how to do that. Right. You know, I, I got my training. I do all kinds of reading. I have all kinds of experience and I feel I can be most effective when it's not somebody's business telling me what to do. Well, right. And then it's pure, right? Like the, like your purpose is pure. Your, you know, your motives are pure. You're not, you know, it ain't about the money. It's about what you can do for someone else. And, uh, and you know, I, I, feel I'm in a, I feel I'm in a privileged situation to be able to do that. You know, how many people are 35 and able to tell people you only have to pay me if you want to. Right. Most people are in a financial situation where they have to work long hours, especially just getting sober. Right. We've blown all of our money. We've blown all of our connections right and it's that part of life is hard again you know i think i'm very fortunate to be in the situation i'm in and i want to make the most of it absolutely so is this all uh online like telehealth or do you work out of an office or what personal recommendations um it's actually funny i have a friend that's addicted to strip clubs And he came out to visit me and made me go to a strip club with him. I hated strip clubs. But the uh, first time I was in there, I got two clients. Um, Just why aren't you drinking? You know, and it's part of being open with your recovery is you never know who's going to take strength in your experience, ask for advice, whatnot. And, you know, you can be out at a strip club having fun with your friends without getting wasted. Mm. Yes, I can. Um, You can live a normal life when you're, or normal life when um, you're sober, you can still do everything to have fun. And I got two clients there and just kind of piled up from their friends, coworkers, parents. It's just, one by one. So it's just kind of a word of mouth thing. It's not a, cause I, I was just asking like, cause if there's a website or a, you know, something that we could share in the show notes for 
anybody out there listening for uh, additional resource out there that they could reach out to. Oh, you're more than welcome to put my cell phone number up there. Right on. I am available 24 seven a day to help anybody that wants my help. Um, you know, I've got my book, <laughs> which you can get my story from and methods from and whatnot, but I am available to help anybody that truly wants help. That's all that you can do. You know, you can't mm-hmm. help somebody if they don't want to help themselves. So what, right. let's hear about the book. Well, a um, client told my story to one of her friends who just happened to be an author. And he found my story very interesting. And he told, he asked me, Hey, can I write a book about you? And at first I was very taken aback. I just, I don't want strangers knowing who I am, knowing my story, mind you, you know, that's what it used to be. Um, I told him as long as it's written to help people not to make money and I have the final say what goes in the book. And he said, yes. And kind of went from there, you know, it was a year and a half or a two year process of, you know, what I want in there versus what you want in there. And he ended up signing the book over to me. So I'm able to sell it for, you know, a dollar because I'm not trying to make money on it. Um, I'm just trying to help, you know, and that's why I let the book be written is needs to be there to help people. Hell yeah, man. You know, you can't, you can't reap a harvest if you don't sow the seeds. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing with my counseling, right? It reinforces my sobriety. Right. Oh yeah. Book reinforces my sobriety. Something like this reinforces my sobriety. Oh, well, other people hopefully get something out of it. I get a ton out of it. Absolutely, man. And that's, that's cool. It's, you know, again, that, that higher power kind of thing. Like if you're not a writer yourself and somebody approaches you and they're a writer and they want to write a book and they're not trying to do it for profit. They just think it will be an interesting project to do. And then they <laughs> sign the rights over to you. I mean, that's like, yeah, to me, it's like, is it odd or is it God? I don't know, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And that's, um, you know, the author told me it was the most fulfilling experience of his career. You know, he's, you know, got like 30 some books out. He's done biographies he's a professional ghostwriter he told me that it was the most satisfying fulfilling experience of his career i'm sure it adds an element of uh personal fulfillment to know (laughs) that like you like you said you sell it for a dollar like really uh where can you get a book for a dollar and that's like you know, to him, it's, it, it's more of that service element, right. In that. And then, and then for him to relinquish the control to you. So he's literally like washing his hands of it. Like, I don't need money for this. I just want to help you transcribe your stuff 
in a way that's, you know, palatable to, to readers, and then we can get it out there and hopefully it'll help a bunch of people. That's really awesome, dude. Yeah. I send him like all the reviews. If you go on Amazon, it's got a bunch of, you know, positive reviews. I send him all of those. Every time I get an email from somebody, you know, I send him those and just let them know, you know, this book is doing what we meant for it to do. It's, you know, it's free on Amazon Kindle, you know, don't wherever I cannot charge for it. That's what I try and do. And he loves it because he's making a difference. You know, he's been writing for 40 years and he was, you know, he's gained all those skills and he was able to take those skills and do something that's going to help our community. Dude, that's super cool, man. I mean, I think about it like I know, for instance, with our with our show, um, you know, we'll likely never know till, you know, we are dead and gone. The the real like impact that it makes yeah. that we do this right. Um, but every once in a while, we'll get like a email or a voicemail message on our on our caller line that will be somebody expressing what it's meant to them to listen to the show, how it's helped them in some way. And it, that is the best feeling. And, it, you know, I love it, too, because me and Charles, we, you know, we've been since COVID doing this remotely for some time you know and we haven't really seen each other face to face for like way too long dude way too long <laughs> and uh it's just cool when he'll just randomly send me a you know some screenshots of a message or 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 you know whatever that just warms your heart you know it's it's That's easy exactly to get why we're doing it right yeah well and it's easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle of life and um yeah you know, not like feeling like you're immersed in this sense of like uh purposeful living and, you know, like all right. this gratitude, you're getting worn down, you're tired, you're working a lot, you're, you know, maybe dealing with some hard stuff in your personal life. And then, you know, these things just remind you of why the hell you do what you do and and where you get your, your joy from. And, and it's, and it's from the service stuff, you know, like, it's and it's just cool coming from where we came from to know that like like I'm a worthwhile human being today like I'm like you said I'm making a difference in my community I'm impacting people in some way and uh you know before I didn't have anything to offer kind of thing so it's like it's it's quite That's the turn I always tell people you know if you went back to Timothy 10 years ago and told him what he was going to doing in 10 years, I would have called myself a massive failure. I'd be like, I don't want to be doing that. I want to be at my office making money, being a high powered person. What a loser that guy is. Right. But through becoming sober and what I like to see is having a clear vision of the purpose of life. Right. And you know, I look back on that Timothy and say, <laughs> what were you doing? Yeah. I mean, it's a perspective thing and you know back then it was probably more material you know more material more you know respect you tell somebody you work at goldman sachs oh really what do you do there you know 
how did you get that job? You must be, you know, you are successful if you're working there making a lot of money, mm. you know, but that comes down to what's success, right? Right. Everybody has a different standard of what success is by some people's standards. I'm sure I'm a failure, but by the person that matters most to me, I am successful. Right. Yeah. It's definitely like you could have everything and, feel mm-hmm. hollow inside yep. oh yeah that's <clears throat> i actually got really <clears throat> excuse me i actually got really good advice regarding money from a client one time uh the old ceo of chevron was one of my clients and um i had just gotten you know i think it was like a fifteen thousand dollar raise and i told him about it and he said you need to be careful with that money <laughs> you're making millions of dollars a year and you're telling me that I need to be careful with a few thousand. And he said, um, you'll only always ever need 10% more, which has been very inspiring to me because when you're making, you know, $14 an hour at uh, Subway, um, you think, you know, if I only had 10% more, I'd be able to afford a nicer car. I'd be able to afford a nicer apartment. That would be perfect. But then you get that 10% and yeah, you get you're not satisfied. It, and you <laughs> yeah. need another 10% and it's just <laughs> on going, right? Pretty soon. Right. Or, you know, you're making a couple hundred thousand and it's not enough. Yeah. And it's funny too, because when somebody's making minimum, they, they think that that's so far out of reach, but it's really not, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's just crazy. I, I hate money. Honestly, <laughs> I hate it. I mean, I'm making pretty decent money today compared to what I ever did before. Um, but I, it's just like money sucks, man. It, money mm-hmm. is like the number one cause of divorce. Money is like the number one stressor, probably one of the top re, uh, reasons that people commit suicide. Uh, mm-hmm. Just money can really, but it can also be a useful tool if you, if you use it correct, you know, in a positive way. And I do believe that what comes around goes around, you know, like what the energy you put out there will come back to you. And so when you're doing, um, you know, you're self-sacrificing for the greater good and you're foregoing money that you could be getting so that people can have these, you know, have the book or, you know, have some support, some counseling. uh, That's that's really a big deal, dude. And I have no doubt in my mind that that will come back to you you know what I mean? Down the road, especially. So thanks for your service, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to serve. Thank you for taking me on this podcast. I very appreciate it more than, you know, well, we appreciate your, your willingness to share your story and we appreciate your willingness to come on here. So, um, and, and I mean, me personally always love hearing about it when people are you know, really offering substantial, you know, practical service to the community in the ways that you're doing or any other way, you know, it's like, there's, we need more people out there that are helpers, you know what I mean? Like that are, that are trying to just lift up brothers and sisters and, and, uh, you know, just spread some love. Like we got enough hate in the world. Yeah. And And I think that's a big, 
you know, I don't like blaming society for stuff. I, I'm all about personal responsibility, but um, what does society tell us is successful? Right. Um, it's not being on a podcast, giving away a book. We're not told that that's success. Right. We're not raised to believe that is, you know, your goal in life. No, I hear you. So, man. you know, it's finding what makes you happy, finding your own definition of what success is. Absolutely. Everything's beneath the surface. Like the things that matter. Yeah. It's not surface level. It's not shit you can see. True um, story. So it's going to be awesome. I hope you get a, I hope a lot of people um, go and find it and get a lot out of it. I'll definitely check it out myself as well. Um, so, I don't know if you're putting it in the show notes or what. But oh, it's yeah. The sobriety. Everything that we can put in there is going in there. <laughs> I very much appreciate it. Because, yeah, it's all about sharing the love, sharing the wealth. We love putting out, uh, you know, a chance for people to get some other resources, just more. Like, like I said, you know, before when I started in recovery, I was like a sponge. I wanted more, more, more. Give me more. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to wait till I would have probably paused the damn podcast to look in the show notes and downloaded the fucking book and then listen to the rest of it, you know, while it was uploading into my phone. Cause I was like ready <laughs> to consume more um, yeah. stuff that could help me. You know what I mean? And I'm still kind of like that, you know? I still am kind of like that because I realize I need support from my peers. I need guidance and, and I, that I don't know it all. You know what I mean? Like I'm always learning. And I, I think as long as I continue to have that thirst to learn, I'll be able to sustain this recovery. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so much knowledge out there. You just have to want to be able to take advantage of it. Oh yeah. The more, the better, you know? Yeah. Just like when I was getting high, dude, it was like the more the better. What have you got? <laughs> Throw it on the table. Let's do it. You know, now I'm that way with, you know, faith and recovery and just spiritual stuff, wisdom in general, just all sorts of different things. I draw, I've learned from so many pathways and different, different like belief systems. And it's, and it's all been helpful to me in some way. You know, if it enhances my recovery, I want more of it. That's just the way I am. <laughs> I'm a junkie for that shit now. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's what's our addiction now? Helping people. Um, <laughs> yeah. And learning. Not too bad of an addiction. No. I'd, I always say, you know, I don't think being an addict is a bad thing. I think it's just channeling that addictive nature into positive things. You know? Yeah. That's, um, you know, because of the epilepsy, I've had uh, two brain surgeries. And it's funny, I'm actually missing the impulse uh, control addiction center of my brain. So, you know, I can use my impulsiveness right. to drink and fight cops or <laughs> I can use it to help. I love it. That's awesome, man. And, and what's really cool to me is that, you know, you've obviously faced a lot of really heavy challenges on your journey, man, and, and that it's it's all worked out for the good, you know? Yep. It could have killed you. It could have killed you many times. It sounds like, but 
here you are and it's and it's all working out for good that's oh, i have a friend um that we were drinking buddies and i told him i was sober you know i had been six or seven years sober at that time and he immediately went out and got sober he's like timothy if you can do it i can too damn right see you it, know it, it all starts i've always been told how impossible this is but if you can do it, so can I. That's a hope shot right there, man. It's like they know they know what we were like, and they're like, what? Like, you're different. Yeah. I want to be different, too. I want to be different, too. I love that. Seeing the lights come on is beautiful, man. But uh, I do. I have these rapid-fire questions that I do at the closing of every interview. You down? Uh-oh. <laughs> no, they're, yeah. they're, they're fun. Okay. <laughs> All right. First one, what does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of? What are some things you do on a daily basis that keep you, you know, spiritually fit? What keeps me fit is um, I'm really good at reflecting. I do a lot of internal thought and just thinking about where I've been and I keep a journal about it and I like to look at my dogs and around my house and know that none of this would be here if it weren't for where I went versus where I was. Right. Journaling is huge, huge help. Um, It's an outlet, right? And you can purge, you can purge with journaling and then that gratitude, you know, that's kind of what it, what it sounds like, you know, just looking around, being grateful for what you got, you know, what you got is enough. Uh, That's, that's a big contributor to being able to continue on and feel good uh, just remind, reminding yourself that these are blessings right so we can yeah. lose we can lose sight of the fact that we're we're blessed and it's pretty easy to lose sight of actually <laughs> yep yeah uh, no what's good for me to remember <clears throat> excuse me i uh i love cars cars are my thing um and for my five years sobriety i went out and i bought myself a car so it's kind of, if I'm having a hard time, I go sit in it, take a drive, remind myself that the only reason I have it is because I got sober. <clears throat> it's a very calming place for me. It's a big part of my recovery. People, oh, you know, you love your car too much. Well, it means a lot to me. Every time I sit in it, it reminds me, you know, yeah. you wouldn't have this if you weren't sober. Yeah. And, or if you weren't sober, you probably like wrap it around a telephone pole or something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> crash it into a car went into my in a minivan, you know. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> hey, I drove a minivan for two years. Leave me alone. Mind you, <laughs> it was probably when I was in my addiction, but I did it anyways. <laughs> what kind of car is it? I gotta know. It's a Camaro, it's a 2018 Camaro SS one LE. It's my Damn, baby. son. That's a nice whip. That's a nice whip. My son, he's nine years old, and we were just we just seen one. I think it was like a 2020 or 2021 one, though. It was definitely one of the very new ones. But I was just, he was like, Oh, that's a cool car. I'm like, Yeah, dude. I'm like, hashtag goals, because I, you know, I'm way far away from being able to do that. But that would be that would be awesome source of gratitude, I think, for me too, you know, just like damn. Like I drove, I drove beaters, dude, like forever. No AC, you know, (laughs) 
Oh, one of my car, I had a 1989 CRX, no radio, no AC, no power steering, no anti-lock brake, you know, nothing, nothing. I bet your forearms were huge like Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Jeez. No power steering was, yeah. That's car's not rough. moving, that's difficult. Yeah, that shit is rough, bro. Oh, man. Okay. Next question. What book or piece of recovery literature has had the biggest impact on your recovery? Uh, I'm looking at my sobriety bookshelf right now. Um, it's a funny title, but Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Dummies. Okay. Um, it's one of those for dummies books? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It, um it's very good at helping you address eternally your problems um, to get rid of those harmful thoughts to come to grips with you, to accept what's going on and kind of like be your own therapist, um, teach you the questions to ask yourself. Yep. It's been monumental in my recovery. It's actually awesome. how I got into uh, counseling was, um, I was doing smart recovery and they offered training and I thought, you know, what better way for me to understand this program than for me to be able to teach it to others. Right. Well, there's lots of reading goes on in this household. I have bookshelves all around here. That's good, man. Knowledge. You can never go wrong learning more and there's always something new you can learn. It's for sure. Uh, next question. What's the best advice that you ever received in your recovery or the best piece of advice? Best piece of advice about staying sober. Just or whatever, about. man. I th may personally, dude, this is not about quitting the drugs or the alcohol. This is a whole nother ball of wax. This is life. Right. And so it could be about anything, you know, whatever helped you the most. I, honestly, I think part of it was you'll only always need 10% more. Um, that for me, it just clicked in more than just money. It clicked for me emotionally. It clicked with me for my goals in life um, to set reasonable expectations for myself. Be happy with what I have. That, that was big for me. I didn't understand it at the time. But right, once right. I got sober and I looked back at it, it made a lot more sense than just you don't need to make a ton of money. It, you know, it made sense for me emotionally. It made sense for me fiscally. It's yeah, it's helped me a lot. Well, yeah, it's like those smart goals, right? Like, <laughs> like it has to be something that's small, achievable, you know, and you get you. But you like achieve great things by just achieving a bunch of small goals along the way. And then eventually you look back and you're like, oh, wow. You know, but if you tried to just like set this one huge goal, then you'd be like overwhelmed and you'd probably quit on it because it's not happening. Right. But See, for me, writing is a big thing. Writing something down. It's concrete. Right. I always tell my clients, write down your big goals. And then we're going to write down the action steps you have to take to get there. It's not, you know, oh, I want to graduate college. Um, 
well, we're going to have to figure out how to get the money to do that. We're going to have to figure out where you're going to live. You know, it's a big thing that needs to be everything in life that's worth something takes a lot of steps to get to. First things first, right? Yep. Got to crawl before you can walk. Got to walk before you can run. Yeah, definitely, man. What is the greatest challenge that you've had in your recovery? Well, I feel like we've gone over that most of this stuff. The greatest challenge I've had is breaking away from what I was told successes and being comfortable with it. Convincing myself it's okay to have different goals that I discovered than what I've been coached to by, you know, family, friends, life, those around me. Being willing to break that mold, it took a lot of self-confidence to you know, walk away from a job where you're making six figures and say, I'm walking away to work for free because it's what's going to make me happy. Um, Absolutely. I definitely, you know, it's when people, some people just can't understand. They can't understand you setting goals that are completely different. Right. Well, it's like, I, I always say, it's like, you can, Try as you may, try as you might, but you'll never make them all happy. So why even try and? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I always make the joke. You know, my mom considers me the most successful one in the family. My mom and sister think I'm the most successful one in the family. My dad thinks I'm a colossal failure. He can't understand it. Just can't fathom how somebody could be happy with my way of life. Um. Whereas why it's your way of life, not his way of life, (laughs) you know? Oh no. He thinks everybody should live his way of life (laughs) for sure. You know, you know, and you're always going to run into people like that. You're not going to measure up to some people's standards, but do you really want them to be your standards? Right. No. Yeah. That's, that's so true, man. Hmm. Good stuff. What's, what, what's the greatest success in your recovery? Like you said, getting the emails, getting the thank yous, getting the, if you're sober, I can do it. My greatest success is changing my life, changing who I am as a person, going from somebody that wanted to kill themselves when they were alone, wanted to be dead to somebody that wants to live forever, you know, and do as much good as I can. You know, when I was suicidal, I prayed that I wouldn't wake up. Now, you know, I want to be awake all the time. I don't like sleep. <laughs> I right. want to be awake. I want to be learning. I want to be enjoying everything life has to offer. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. It is truly, <laughs> it's, it's truly the, those little things. It's like, that's free. That shit's free. Yep. Right. Know? You hear the best things in life are free. And that's the kind of stuff that, yeah. I mean, it just warms my heart. It It lifts me up. It gets me pumped. I get goosebumps, you know, it, you know, maybe I'll cry. I might get emotional. Like it's, <laughs> it's awesome, you know, and who would have thought, you know, every time I'll have like a period in there somewhere where I'll just have that realization, you know, that, that looking back and, yep. and, and like, just like that, all that emotion that comes with um, pretty much being able to observe like how different I am for a second, you know, than I used to be. And, and then the gratitude that flows in me from, from that, 
experience. Yeah, for me, that's a source of power is you know, yeah. looking back and seeing I'm a different person. I like who I am now. Look what I've accomplished becoming this person. Absolutely, bro. What's the, uh, or the next question, what, <laughs> what is a song? What is a song that symbolizes your recovery to you? Is there maybe a song that reminds you of your recovery? Um, God, there was one and I have it on a cell phone playlist, but I'm talking to you, um, on my cell phone. I, I can't really, it's funny cause I'm really into music. So I get parallels from a lot of different stuff. I can't think of one in particular though. Hello, Wiggles. Yeah, but your phone is capable of doing two things at once. I don't know if you knew that, but you can, you can look. I've never done Zoom on my cell phone before. I don't know if I, uh, if I minimize this application, is it going to kick me away from you? I don't think so. I think that you can you can look you got puppies there cute um yeah i like them quite a bit it's crazy like the power of music and i love this question because i hear it's it's great because when i'm doing the show notes after i'll listen to the song that you know was said by the guest and i've heard a lot of songs i never heard before doing this question and some of them are really amazing you know what i mean some of, them, to, some of them not quite my cup of tea, but hey, you know, <laughs> it's their cup of tea. And maybe the message is good, but I don't dig it musically or something. But it's still awesome to hear because that, like you said, it's like music is something that it's a universal language and it, it means a lot to people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yes. Music is a big thing for me. Peace. Hmm. Trying to find it. It's actually it's by a hard rock band. It's by a band called uh, In This Moment. Going through my hard rock playlist, which just happens to be way too long. Um, <laughs> That's all right because we want to know what your song is. <laughs> oh, you know it's a good one. Do you know I? You probably do. Do you know who Skillet is? Oh yeah, yeah. Skillet better than drugs. Yeah. It's good times and you know stuff like that it's amazing you know you find out they're a christian band and you're kind of like wow i didn't really uh i don't really know hard rockers could be christian you know no yeah it's totally true I, there's some crazy stuff out there now it's like there's like christian death metal you would never guess it was christian it sounds crazy but you know you can't understand what they say because it's like growling and high-pitched screams, <laughs> but you, you can re find the lyrics and like read it and it's like oh okay but <laughs> you know it's a trip some of the stuff that's out there i'm searching through these so i don't see it i don't know why i'm not finding it That's, you know, the little white dog that you see come in here every once in a while. This is uh, my soul dog. Um, we were meant for each other. She, well, one, she went to rehab with me. But two, she also has been in a coma. And uh, she developed epilepsy and is actually on the same epilepsy drugs I used to be on. 
Wow. <laughs> That's a <Yeah>. trip. <laughs> right? Yeah, she can really empathize with you, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. She's my baby. Right, Katie? Yeah. She's... All right. One last question, because I guess we're going with skillet better than drugs <laughs> for, the, for the song, which is cool. That's a good one, though. Um, yep. What is something that you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? My, I can't tell you who it was. Um, but it's her as a person. Um, she let her child be sexually abused in her addiction. And I know we all do stupid stuff in our addiction, but can't let that one go. Sorry. Right. And I don't plan on letting it go. Yeah. I just, I, I think I, I came up with that question because it's, <clears throat> I think it's instructive for people to hear, you know, like honesty from, from people that are doing well and have, you know, because I think people can tend to put us on a pedestal and what they don't realize is that we're still human beings. We still have, you know, things that we, you know, are still contending with, you know, everybody does. Um, oh yeah. No, I had somebody tell me maybe like two or three days ago. And she said, uh, I wish I had your life. Well, it's not all roses. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you know, because like you said, you know, people, we're still people, you know, I still have epilepsy. I've had brain surgery. I'm slow. I'm, you know, not allowed to exercise. I'm not allowed to swim, even though I was training for the Olympics. I, you know, I've got all kinds of stuff. And I think most people would be depressed, but I've become comfortable with my situation. I'm right. You know, you see me as a happy person. You don't realize all the shenanigans I go through, but it's because I focus on the good. Exactly. And that, again, it's, that's because of the growth and you only got the growth because of the work that you put in to get there. You know, Do you have um, a second for a quick story. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, one of the things that has helped me most in sobriety is I got sober and there was that quake down in Haiti and, um, you know, tons of people died from it. And, um, I went down to help build an orphanage and um, these kids obviously had no parents. Um, they had to be escorted to school by people with AK 47s. Uh, they didn't know if they were going to have their next meal or not. They drank water out of packets that the UN had given them mm. and they still managed to be help helpful or happy. I'm sorry. Uh, they wouldn't let me build a playground without helping me. Right. Um, they were smiling. We all sang songs together, stuff like that. And it puts stuff in perspective for me. Um, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, I can never do that. Somebody has it worse than me, so I can do it too. I just look at it as if those people can be happy in that situation, I can too. Amen. And that has been a great reference point for me is you know you go through stuff I, i'm not happy this is too hard and it's just 
I just think back to those little kids had just left their parents guarded by AK 47s. We're still able to be happy. Right. It's, it's that way with faith too. You know, you, I've never been on a mission trip like that, but I know a lot of people that have, and it's always so moving for them because you, you think about like first world problems, right? Like we have first world problems and, and these people have no choice, but to, you know, depend on each other and, and, and they have to, they have to find a way to be positive and they have more joy than, you know, most people in the States do, but it's just the, it's just so different, you know, but when you, when you are dependent on each other and you're dependent on a higher power uh, to find some kind of spiritual life out there, like, and they, and they have the strongest faith and the most joy than we are anybody around here. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Oh, when we were painting the walls, we put Bible quotes all over them. Yeah. No, that's awesome. actually, that's one of my favorite things to think is if I'm having a problem, I think, is this a first world problem? <laughs> you know, if, if it's a problem, no matter what, it's a problem, you need to address it. And it matters how you view it. Put it in, take the time and put it into perspective. Is this a first world problem? Absolutely, man. Yeah, let's trip. No, thanks for sharing that, though. That that sounds like it was a pretty awesome experience to do. I like to say I got more out of it than the kids. You know, we might have built them a house, playground, walls to live behind, you know, but I think I got more out of it than the kids. That's uh that's service, man. Every anything you do, right? It's like mm-hmm. you get so much out of it too, you know, being able to be of service to others. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's like some people don't want to do service work because they think it sounds like a pain in the ass or an inconvenience. But it's like, no, dude, you you don't know what you're missing. You know, the benefits. You you are helping somebody and helping yourself. Absolutely. Well, man, Timothy, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I appreciate the work you do, the service that you're putting out there to help people in need and uh, that you're willing to share your... your, uh, resources with with our listeners as well man and it's it's really awesome of you and i'm glad that you're living a life of purpose today and that you've made it through all of that stuff and you're here and you're happy to be (laughs) well thank you very much i appreciate it you know stuff like this is helps me be sober you know amen Uh, i'm probably getting more out of this than everybody else will you know it's stuff like this is good for everybody couldn't agree more brother that's why i keep doing it that's and thank you for your service thank you for making this available (laughs) thank you for the hard work and effort and channeling your abilities and you know not everybody can sit in front of a microphone it's true it's a difficult thing um it's it's gotten easier you know over (laughs) time It, it was really weird at first but you know, my sponsor told me that nothing good ever happens inside your comfort zone. So I had to get out of there <laughs> and push myself to do something different, you know. And he said, you know, if somebody asks you to do something and you're in recovery, and if it ain't going to hurt you and it ain't going to hurt somebody else, you have to say yes. So, you know, Charles, bless his soul, hit me up and asked if I wanted to 
come on and help him you know bring the show to the next level he wanted to change some things about the show and i joined in god that was like over 150 episodes ago (laughs) you know what i mean right it was awkward as hell at first but i mean I, i love it now and i've always loved it but i mean especially now you know i'm just grateful i always thank god for make bringing this thing into my life you know now I get to meet more people like yourself and hear <laughs> stories and, and uh, it always rejuvenates my recovery, you know, and my spirit. So it's a good thing. Thank, Thank you. you for, for uh, your kind words. With that being said, we're going to sign off and uh, thanks again, Timothy. We will have all that information for you guys in our show notes to our listeners. Uh, just make sure you look at that. Scroll to the bottom of the explanation description of the show there's always that contact info is going to be there. His uh, link to his book will be there and the different ways you can get it. However many links that is, we'll have it all on there for you guys. And uh, of course we'll have his song. If he figures out his in the moment, in this moment song, I'll put that in there too. Maybe he'll look after we get off of this and I can add it into the show notes as well. But yeah, man, take care of yourself and thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of the way out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Tune in, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.